So Christmas is here, and most of us are very familiar with the Christmas story. Most of us even have kind of setups like this that we bring out at Christmas. We bring out the Christmas characters, and we set them up somewhere that remind us of the Christmas story. And the Christmas story kind of goes something like the Jersey version is something like this. An angel shows up to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a child. And Mary says, what? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, God is going to do this. And Mary says, okay. <laughs> and then Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's ticked. And he's like, I'm going to dump you, Mary. And he wants to ditch her. And an angel shows up to Joseph and says, Joseph, God is doing this. Take her to be your wife. And Joseph goes, okay. <laughs> and then Luke writes this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So this young couple has this extraordinary pregnancy, this extraordinary engagement. They go up to Bethlehem for this official thing, and the time comes for the baby to be born, and they have their son, and they give birth in a barn, and Jesus comes, and they put him like in a manger with hay, and we all go, oh, it's so cute, and we sing songs about how cute this is, and how cool this is, and this is not cool or cute. This is weird. Actually, this is really bizarre, messy birth in a barn, and we go, oh, cute, and have songs. Like, uh, I mean, I wonder if something like this would take place today. What would you think if you heard someone at work gave birth in a shed? Would, would you be like, ooh, cute? I mean, imagine a couple has an unwanted pregnancy, and they decide to get married, and they decide, they hear something official has to happen, so they have to go up from Allentown to Harrisburg and leave on a Bieber bus, and they get on the bus, and they head up to Harrisburg for some official thing they've got to do, and while they're up there, they don't know anybody, and they're walking along, and they're nowhere near a hospital, and it's time to give birth. And they start banging on doors, and nobody wants them to come in. And someone finally opens up and goes, well, you can't bring that in here, but I got a shed out back where I keep my dog. You can go there. And they're like, we don't have a choice. So they go out to the shed, and they give birth, and they wrap their child up in a bunch of old T-shirts and put them in a bird bath next to the lawnmower. And we go, oh, how cute. Oh, let's sing a song about it. Like, this is weird and not cute. This is messy and sad, actually. When you really think about what took place, that a couple, a young couple from Judea in Palestine, FYI, they ain't white like this. They're brown-skinned. And they're 
Babies coming and nobody will take them in and they give birth and put their son in a box of hay that animals eat after. And this is not cute. This is not clean. This is not fairy tale. This is real. And it's sad. It would be sad if any human had that experience, right? It would be sad if any baby went through that. But do you know who this baby is? I mean, this isn't just any baby. This is the Son of God, the one who was promised to come and rescue God's people from their sin. He's the one promised that's going to come through the royal family line. The Jews had this hero, a superhero king named David, and David was promised that someday a son will come through your line. The promise goes like this, when your days are over, David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And Jesus comes into this world in the line of David, born in a shed. The prophet Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said, But you, Bethlehem, this place, though you are small among the clans of Judah, you're a nobody town. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And Jesus will be our peace. So this one promise through the line of David, the Son of God who has come to bring peace, is born in a barn. And we ignore that little phrase, no room. We ignore it and we want to forget about that. We like to keep it cute like this because if we can keep it cute like this, if we can keep it fairy tale like this. If we can keep God, Jesus, at arm's length, and it's just a story like Frosty the Snowman, we can keep God at arm's length and it doesn't get personal. It doesn't get inside me. It doesn't start to change me. It doesn't make a difference to keep it fairy tale stuffed animals. Let's just keep it that way. What if what if God really wants a relationship and really has the power to change things? And we hear no room and how cute, but stop and think about this. God saw our condition. He understands you and me. He knows what we're like. He knows we're broken, messed up, we're sinful, we're selfish. He gets that we're rebels. We don't give a flip about him. He knows that, and he sees us in this state. He says, I love you too much to leave you in that state. I'm going to send my one and only son into this world. He's going to live and die and rise again to reconnect us together, to reunite us. And we have no room for Jesus. The one who comes to change everything is born in a barn and walks a life just like us, experiences everything human just like us, dies a cruel death so that we can be forgiven and be reunited with God the Father. And we don't have room for this, partly because it's just too wild, too wonderful that God would send his son into the world in a barn for me? 
That he would love me enough to sacrifice his son? He cares enough? He knows me, understands me, sees how broken I am, and cares for me enough that he would send his one and only son? That's just too crazy. In some ways, too crazy good. So no room here for that because it gets way too personal, too close. But here's the thing. The main characters of the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph, I think, at first, initially, there was no room, there was no room for them either, for Jesus. I mean, you think of Mary's story. Luke's gospel tells us Mary's story. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. If you went to Wawa and an angel showed up and started to talk to you, you'd be crazy troubled too. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. He will be great will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? I mean, she knows the birds and the bees. She's not stupid. She knows you got to do something for that to happen, and she hasn't done that something. And so she's going, no, wait, how can this be? And isn't that true for most of us? We have no room for Jesus because God seems to always defy our reason, our intellect. We're scientific. We're rational. We're logical. We want evidence, proof. Before I believe, i got to see cold, hard facts. But is it possible that God doesn't answer to your cold, hard facts and doesn't fit into your box? Is it possible, just maybe, his brain is bigger than yours? Maybe. I was thinking about love. You know, when you fall in love with someone, sometimes it just doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, I know who some of you love, and they're weird dirtbags, and I'm like, why would you love him? Have you seen that scene where a woman falls in love with a guy, and you're like, you are so much better than him? But love defies reason. And sometimes we love someone and you can't prove why, you don't know why, but love is powerful and strong and it doesn't mean it answers to your questions. It isn't provable, scientific. It defies reason. And when there's no room for God in our minds, when we say, no, God can't do that, when our human minds go, no, God can't, we decide in that moment there's no room for him. And what's hard about that is if there's no room in your mind for God, the reality is that means you're disconnected from God. The Bible calls us enemies of God's and that we're under the wrath of God. So if you in your mind and your logic and your reason go, there's no room for this, I don't have room for him, then it puts you in a difficult state before Almighty God. You're called his enemy because he doesn't fit into your box. Think of Joseph. 
Matthew 1 gives us Joseph's story. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph is thinking just like you and me. Wait, we fell in love and we're pledged to be married and now you're pregnant by who and how? And no. Listen, I didn't sign up for this. I, I wanted to get married and have this destination wedding and we move back to Emmaus and get a picket fence and a dog and a fish and have a couple kids. This isn't my plan. This isn't the way I dreamed things would happen. This can't be. And he has no room for this because we have no room for Jesus when he interrupts our plans and our dreams. When, when we have a dream, a plan, a desire, a hope, we want to control the destiny and direction of our lives, and God comes into our life and goes, hey, let's talk about this. When God wants our attention, and we say to him, no, I will be in control, when, when God wants a relationship with us, and when he, he wants to walk with us and cares about us and loves us, but we have our lifestyle, our plans, our ideas, our opinions, our perspectives, and we go, no, don't mess, God. Have you ever tried to get a steering wheel out of a control freak's hands? I mean, some of you are married or you know someone that they have to be the one that drives, like their arms are gripped around the steering wheel, and you could be like, you're falling asleep, let me drive, and it doesn't matter. No, I must drive. You've met these kinds of people? That's a control freak. And in our lives, there's a lot of us that are so gripped on the direction and plan of where I want my life to go. It's going to go like this, and I got my foot on the accelerator, and here's where I'm going. How does that control work for you? Is it, is it yielding the results you want? Are you getting what you want? Have you ever been driving along on the highway and there's a semi-truck in front of you that decides to come over into your lane? You know, a big tractor trailer tries to get over and, and you have a choice, right? So I have a plan, I have a direction, I'm going a certain speed, here's where I'm going, and when this semi tries to merge over, you have a choice, don't you? What's your choice? You can yield to the bigger, stronger, or not. You know, God is the bigger, stronger. And so many times we have our plans, our direction, our speed, our ideals, our dreams, our hopes, and the God of the universe comes. And you have a choice like Joseph did, to yield to the wiser, bigger, stronger, or not. But if you yield to the wiser, bigger, stronger, and get your car lined up right behind that thing, and you go, letting that bigger, stronger draft you, some of you are NASCAR weirdos, you know what I mean, <laughs> you go somewhere, you go somewhere. We have no room for Jesus because... We have plans. Don't interrupt my plans. Maybe some of us have no room for Jesus because we don't have time for him. 
I mean, the God of the universe wants a relationship with me, which is incredible. He doesn't down with religion. He's not about traditions. That's not what he's about. He actually wants to have a relationship with me where I walk with him and I talk with him and I interact with him. He knows me and I know him. It's as if he comes to my door, the door of my heart, and knocks and goes, knock, knock, knock. And I'm like, who is it? And he's like, God. And I'm like, no time. I mean, think of that. The God of the universe that has all the resources at his disposal, smartest, wisest, richest, powerful, everything is at his disposal, and I'm like, I got no time for you. Oh, maybe I'll make a little bit of time. Maybe, maybe you know, I don't have time in here. I don't have time in my lifestyle. I don't have time right in the core of me, but I'm like the innkeeper. I got a shed out back. I mean, you can go into my shed, you can go into the barn, you can live out there, and when I need you like a lawnmower, I'll bring you out and I'll cut my grass and I'll put you back, and then I wonder why you feel so distant. I wonder why I don't feel connected to you, why I don't sense your peace, your power. I don't sense security knowing you, loving you, following you. I can't hear your voice because I've kept you out here when he wants in here. And when I let him in here, Say, God, you have access to my emotions. You have access to my mind. You have my access to my finances. You're welcome in my relationships. I want you in my work. God, I'm even going to show you my temptations and my sin and my struggle. You're welcome in all of it. Every room, every door, every crevice, every part is open to you. Come inside. I have time for you. And when he comes in, he so gently just starts to work, to forgive, to clean up, to love, to be patient. But I keep him out and say, no time for you. Maybe for some of us, we have no room for Jesus because we've been hurt. We've been hurt by someone, someone who was supposed to be our protector, someone who was supposed to be our pastor, someone who was supposed to take care of us, someone who said they loved me, and they took that trust that I gave them, and they misused that trust, and they have hurt me deeply. Maybe you're a veteran, and you've seen things at war that are just horrible. Maybe you're a first responder And you've come on accident scenes that are just horrific. And we have no room because we build up a wall. And we say to God, where were you on my second visit to Afghanistan? On my tour to Afghanistan a second time and a third time, where were you? Where were you when I was being abused by that man? Where were you when I came up on that accident and saw horrific things that I can't get out of my mind? Where are you, God, if you cared, if you loved? And we build a wall up to protect because I can't get hurt like this again. I build up a wall, keep him at bay, keep him away. But here's what's incredible. You might be strong, you might be confident, but when you put up a wall to God, you also put up a wall to everyone else and you're confident, and you're strong, and you're alone because you've been hurt. You know, I get it. I understand. Jesus comes as our Prince of Peace. That's what the Bible says. That's been my experience. 
That when I make room for Jesus, I experience peace. He comes as a prince of peace, and he is coming to be the prince of peace between me and God. He wants to restore a right relationship between me and God so that I could be at peace with God. But he also comes to restore a right relationship between me and other people to bring peace between me and other people. The Prince of Peace comes to bring peace here and here, but I've got no room. Stay away. Don't get too close. You're a cartoon. And then when we wonder and we struggle and we have heartache and pain, I get it. It's normal. It makes sense to me. I struggle with this too. You know, Mary had no room because she couldn't intellectually understand how she could be pregnant while she was a virgin. Joseph had no room because his dream was, this is the way my life is going to unfold. And when God interrupted it, he, what am I going to do? But what's incredible about these individuals, Mary and Joseph, is that they didn't have room and then they had room. They didn't have room and then they did have room. So what What's causing you to not have room for Jesus? And it doesn't matter if you're an atheist today or an agnostic. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you've been following Jesus for decades. You're a sincere person of faith, mature in your faith. Wherever you are today, whatever you are in your relationship with Jesus, what keeps you from having room for him? What prevents it? What stops it? What keeps you from making room for more of Jesus in your life. You see, this Christmas story unfolds and Mary and Joseph changes, they change, and that means that I can change too. And that means you can change too, from someone who has no room to room. How does it happen? There's a line in A Christmas Carol that encourages me. I put it in your app. It's the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and there's a line in that song that helps me understand how to move from no room to room. It goes like this, how, I'm not going to sing it, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear him coming. But in this world of sin, here's the line, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. How do you go from room, no room to room? It's that one four-letter word, meek. It's not a word we use a lot. It's not a word we may even understand. Mary was meek. You see, Mary in her mind said, this can't be. But when her mind collided with the God of the universe, she chose to yield to the semi. She yielded to him and trusted God's words, not her thoughts. She was meek, and Jesus entered. Joseph chose, when he had a plan that was interrupted by God, the semi comes in, Joseph chose to yield at great cost to him. He chose to yield to the stronger, greater God. And that's where the birth of Christ became real. You see, meek doesn't mean weak. Meek doesn't mean weak. 
Here's what meek means. Meek is, I believe God is good, and I believe God is strong, and I will yield to him. He's the semi that's pulling over, and he wants you to follow him, and you're the Kia. What are you going to do? Yield or not yield? You could try to not yield. You could try that. But meekness is deciding, wait, God, I am frail. I get tired. I get sick. I have to take naps. You never get tired. You're strong. You never get sick. God, I have plans, and I make my plans and mess my plans up, but you're wise and intelligent, and your ways are perfect. God, you are loving, and I am not. You are good. And I've got mixed motives. God, you are God. And I'm just ashes. I'm made of dust. I came into this world naked. I'm leaving this world naked. I have nothing when I came into this world. I've got nothing when I leave. And you are forever. You are strong and good in all your ways. I yield to you. That's what it means to be meek. And that attitude changes everything. It changes this from a fairy tale, Frosty the Snowman, to something that transforms you because you move from religion to relationship. You move to God being distant in the shed by you when you need him. You roll him out to he lives with you and eats with you and gently and kindly loves you and is patient with you and walks with you through whatever you face. You see, Jesus lives in the heart of the meek. And in the heart of the meek, he brings about peace. What kind of heart do you have today? I'm strong. I'm in control. I'm smart. I'm hurt. I've got walls built up. Don't come in. Or you're strong, you're good, I yield myself to you. Because in that heart, Jesus shows up. And as we end today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Christmas story again because it's the story of the great king coming. And we made it so fairy tale and familiar. But maybe as you listen with a heart of meekness, yielding, to the semi, hear it for the first time. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! we got to go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for loving us, for making us, for creating us in your image and knowing that despite our sin, despite our rebellion, you made a way, a plan, and you promised it from eternity past that your son would come in such a crazy, unique way in a barn as a sign that would point to the fact that you were doing something unusual, something extraordinary to get the attention of people, broken people, like us. God, our minds get in the way of following you. Our hurts get in the way of trusting you. Our dreams and visions and plans get in the way of surrendering to you. Sometimes we just don't want to bother with anybody but ourselves. Though all resources and all wisdom and all peace is available through faith in Jesus, We just don't have time. So wake us up, open our hearts and minds, and make us meek, because you are strong in good in all your ways. May we yield to you this Christmas. In Christ's strong name, I pray, amen.